Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. You don't have to turn off your heart to succeed in business. And Mark Silver wants you to know that every active business can be an act of love. Mark has been teaching entrepreneurs why it's important to remember the divine while developing solid and sustainable business practices for over 15 years. In this episode, he shares with us how his own business has evolved while staying true to its core focus as the online publishing landscape has changed. Mark will explain the differences between contemplative and devotional practices for mindfulness, walk us through a brief guided remembrance, and show us how business development concepts as complex as building strategic alliances can boil down to a simple cup of tea. So today I'm talking with Mark Silver, and he runs a business called Heart of Business, where he teaches entrepreneurs how to be heart-centered in their business practices. Mark, does that capture the flavor of what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, we we talk about how every act of business can be an act of love, and that's what we're hoping to achieve. I like that concept of an active business. What do you consider an active business? Well, you know, it's funny because when people talk about business, they tend to only talk about acts without actually talking about what business is. So anything that you do in your business is usually an action, right? Whether you're talking to a client or working on an email or figuring out an offer that you're going to make or ordering inventory or, you know, there's all these different things that are actions that we take. And my own spiritual path teaches that we want to remember the divine in every moment. We want to remember love in every moment. And so every act of business, every act of our life can be an act of love, but we often fall short of that. But we do our best <laughs> to remember. I don't think people think about that when they're thinking about business. And yet businesses, we spend so much of our lives involved in that, and we put so much energy into that part of our lives. It's interesting that you're you're one of the few people who talks about bringing heart into the business side of things. Yeah, well, luckily, I'm not the only one. It has been growing in popularity over the last 16 years, uh, this thought, but it's true. There's not as much as one would hope because it's really desperately needed. Well, what inspired you? What, what gave you the idea to go in this direction? <sighs> well, there's kind of two threads. One is that I've been an activist since... I was a teenager and the world of business, it's incredibly dysfunctional and incredibly painful. It's wreaked immense havoc on our ecosystems, on our communities, on our lives. And at the same time, business is a totally normal part of human life and has been for millennia. It's been the last few centuries that it's been perhaps the most damaging. And so this thread of wanting business to not be so destructive, to be a positive force, to be just another part of our lives where we can bring our care and attention and be cared for and care for others. And with that, when I started studying with my Sufi teachers, I began 
began to see that there were threads over these esoteric spiritual teachings that I saw present in business teachings. Like you'd see something, I'd see something in business, and then I saw how an esoteric teaching really mapped to that exactly. And being able to find that, oh, we don't have to do spiritual practice on a cushion or somewhere else and then come to business until our tank runs out and then go fill up again. But we can actually find the nourishment in business, in life, in the moment. Those two pieces, the activism and then the spiritual intention for me are where Heart of Business was really born. You mentioned a couple of terms that some of our listeners may not be as familiar with. You mentioned Sufi and you mentioned esoteric practices. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, Sufism is the mystical side of Islam. And if the two most popular poets, most widely sold, best-selling poets in America, Rumi and Hafiz are both Sufi. They were Islamic Sufi practitioners, masters. And in terms of esoteric, you know, most religions have an esoteric, have a mystical side to them. And though the mystical side has teachings that have been usually handed down by masters, you know, through lineages. And those teachings help to open up not just the understanding of the mind, because the mind is usually inadequate, but an experience of the heart and the being for how reality is, or at least a taste of that. And so these kinds of esoteric teachings help to open up the unseen worlds, help to open up the experience beyond the purely physical, which is really necessary, I believe, if we're going to get the full measure of life and the full measure of love. You know, we can't just deal with the physical world around us. We have to take in all of it, including the source of where it comes from and where it returns to. Right. And I know Islam is not the only religion that has esoteric practices. I know there's an esoteric practice in Judaism. There are esoteric practices in Christianity. Right. They go by different names. Right. I'm curious what drew you to Sufism. I was dragged into it unwilling. <laughs> I think that most most spiritual paths don't necessarily, well, I think many people on spiritual paths don't always experience an element of choice in it. <laughs> in our, in both Judaism and in Sufism, there's a, there's this teaching of like the God casts a net and you're caught. For me, my wife was chronically ill for years and in her searching, she came across a Sufi healer, which was incredibly impactful for her. We were active in a Jewish community at the time. And I, I said, don't you go becoming Sufi on me. And she did, because she's smarter than I am. And then when I connected with the Sufi teacher, there were two things. One is that it was a complete echo of everything I was learning in Judaism. And the experience of that echo went much deeper in my heart for some reason. My own personal experience of that teacher kind of gathered, carried me forward. And this teacher also talked about how we can use this for spiritual healing, we can use it for physical healing, and we can use it for healing in business. And I was like, eh? And so I started studying with them to learn about business and organizational healing, which is uh, fascinating. It was a fascinating topic for me. How long ago was that? That was before you launched this business, I guess. Yes, it was back in 2000. I was doing somewhat related work in that way back I had been a paramedic and then I'd gotten burnt out on doing paramedic work and I was a, running a nonprofit magazine and I left that. And then from my nonprofit work, I was helping friends who were self-employed. So many of our friends were self-employed organic gardeners and healers and practitioners of various sorts. And I had some layout skill, Quirk Express, for those who remember that. <laughs> 
Oh, that brings me back. Yes, <laughs> back in the day. Um, and so back in the 90s, three, you know, trifold brochures and business cards and things like that. I was a horrible designer, but it turns out I knew more about business than I thought I did. And, and working with them, I realized I needed some way of processing people and their emotions because so many emotions were coming up around being self-employed or having a business. And that's what kind of led me into the work, into the Sufi work. And then halfway through a three-year training with my Sufi teachers, I launched Heart of Business. And the goal of Heart of Business is to bring mindfulness practices and heart back into the way people run their businesses. Right? Well, it's an interesting description. Mindfulness is not really a term that Sufis use so much. In the world of spiritual practices, there's contemplative practices and there's devotional practices. And contemplative practices tend to be the kind of practice that has been associated in Western minds by the typical Zen style meditation where you're emptying mind, you're quieting yourself, you're focusing, you're kind of emptying out. And devotional practices are practices where you seek not to become unattached, but to attach yourself to something far greater, to be so inflamed with love that everything else is removed from you. And so there's somewhat of the same end result, but slightly different paths. I'll say that Sufism has, in my path, both contemplative practices and devotional practices, and with my teacher, the devotional practices were more emphasized. So that explained the goal of Heart of Business, one of the intentions of Heart of Business, this every act of business is every, of every act of love, is to bring out that devotional spirit of we can be in love, we can remember love, we can, you know, is love available even here and even here and even here? And can our hearts be inflamed with this love to the point where nothing is left out, no corner of business, no corner of our lives. When you teach this to, to entrepreneurs, you talk about remembering. You call it a remembrance, correct? We do. That is the term. How does the remembrance work? And how, how do you structure that for people? Yeah. So it's an interesting question at a very basic level of just how do you do it. It's basically taking a name of the divine and calling it into your heart. So as a Sufi, I use the name Allah. There are so many different names for the divine. I like people to find, if they can, one that doesn't have a gender, neither male nor female. Allah isn't male or female. Many names of God from many different religions and many different sacred words have that ah sound, which resonates in the chest so strongly. And so we just call Allah, Allah. Allah, into the heart. And then you have an experience with that. Now, one of the cautions that I have when I teach this is that it's not a technique, meaning that it's not like, oh, you do this thing and you get this result. It's a relationship. We're in relationship with the source of everything. We're in relationship with, the, with oneness, with the source of love uh, that we are not separate from. And so this calling out comes from a real yearning in our hearts to not be alone, from this thirst that we have. There's a Sufi teaching that says the aim is not to drink until your thirst is quenched. The aim is to develop the perfect thirst so that you never stop drinking. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. I'm so grateful for my teachers. And so that the practice can be what looks like a typical spiritual practice where you sit 
And, you know, uh, some people do with mantras from other traditions or just contemplation. You can just be silently or out loud calling the name into your heart. And sometimes there's a little bit of a bowing of the head just to connect with a sincerity and a humility to know that there's something larger than you. And I'm using that word a lot. I mean, we really, we've had people from so many different paths work with us. We've had Buddhist priests and nuns. We've had Catholic priests and Catholic nuns. We've had Wiccans. We have had people without any path at all work with remembrance because it's, you know, as far as particular Sufi practices, it's not very particular. It's very, it's very open. There are other practices that I do personally that are part of my lineage, but we, we do this calling and so you can do this you can do it for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or an hour but it's also available in the moment where i can be in a conversation with you right now and i can just be quietly silently in my heart remembering allah remembering the divine remembering that you're a face of the oneness and that and that nothing is separate from that oneness of love it sounds very tempting, and I think probably our listeners would love the experience of being brought through a brief remembrance. It's fascinating that you're doing this. It's a devotional practice, but you do it in a secular way. And I think that people would love to learn a little bit about that and maybe have, have that experience. Can you bring us through a brief remembrance? Yes, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. <sighs> so the first thing that I always want us to do is to just take a moment to come home. You know, if we're trying to find a connection to oneness and to remember love, it's important that we actually be home to receive that. And so we just take a moment to notice how we're feeling without needing to change anything, right? It could be grumpy, we could be frustrated, we could be happy, could be bored, <laughs> you know? And there's room for all that. We don't even have to make room. There's just room. And we know there's room because we're feeling that. And there's also room to not want to feel how we're feeling. <sighs> yeah. Just breathing gently. And again, we're not trying to create any particular kind of experience. We're just noticing. And then we bring our attention to our heart. High up in our chest. And then we just quietly, and sometimes out loud, just begin to call a name of the divine. In this moment, because we're just taking a short period with this, I'm just going to use law. If you choose, use your own name if you have one. And you may just pick one. And I'll say just as a side comment that a lot of people get hung up trying to find a name that fits. And I want to say that there are many names and, you know, when we meet somebody, we don't really get to pick their name. You know, I met you, David, and I didn't get to choose your name. <laughs> I met my wife. I didn't get to choose her name. And so it can be helpful just to kind of let go of that need to have it fit perfectly and just say, huh, here's a name that many people have used. Maybe there's something sacred here. Maybe I can be willing to be surprised and just begin to call that name into your heart. And so for me as a Sufi, I would say, Allah. Allah.
Allah. Allah. And just noticing what you notice. Noticing anything subtle in the heart. Allah. Allah. And then taking a breath and bringing your attention back. And that's a very brief remembrance. Hmm, that's so simple. It's a very simple practice. It is. It's literally a remembering. And the people who come to you. I'm curious, you've introduced folks to this and get, getting people familiar with the distinction between devotional versus contemplative. How, how do you approach that usually? So my, I'm a very practical person. I'm a five planet Virgo. I'm a one on the Enneagram. I like to get my hands on things. I was a paramedic. <laughs> you know, I feel like understanding principles can be very helpful. And usually we just plunge people into it. We just say, here, try this. <laughs> and then the experience tends to speak for itself. The, the Sufis say, you know, you can talk about water all you want, but you don't know what it tastes like until you drink. And so we don't try to make that distinction. We just describe it in the way that I've described it. And then if people are challenged, you know, if challenges come up, then we can address those challenges. Oh, I'm thinking about this, or how does this relate to this? And yeah, we take a very kind of practical feet on the ground approach to it. I'm curious, what brought you to the point of wanting to be a teacher and bringing this out to people? I was trained. I did three years of training with my Sufi teachers, and then I did another two years of teacher training, and then I received my Master's of Divinity after that with them. So I've done, you know, what totaled that up, five, six and a half years of training, in addition to a lot of experience and practice and, and such since 2000. And spiritually, I've been named a master teacher in my lineage. Um, so I've been given a fair amount of support to get to this place. At the same time, remembrance itself is such a simple practice. Anyone, there's there's no compunction. I mean, I, I that can sound very... <laughs> I, I did all that training for my own benefit because my heart was so thirsty. And because I, I was trying to do more than just teach remembrance. You know, there's a lot of work that we do with our with our students, with our clients around... Just all the stuff that comes up around business and money and really wanting to bring healing, really trained as a healer, and bring that to them. But to just teach remembrance, you know, you don't need this kind of, <laughs> you know, you don't need to be anointed to be able to teach remembrance. You just need to have a tasting of it yourself and desire to help someone other because it, again I, you know like it's so easy in our in language the way the english language is constructed to talk about it as a technique as a practice which it is in a sense but it's just remembering it's just remembering like if i want to remember my wife holly oh, i just said her name and suddenly her in the image of her and the memory of her comes to me and i remember the 20 years we've been together and i remember all kinds of things and my heart fills with love and there's all kinds of things that come up when i mention her name and so it's this kind of thing with the divine we're just remembering 
we're just remembering that there's so much more than what we can see with our eyes and put our hands on. That there is love moving behind everything. And there are so many distractions, it's easy to forget. Yeah, exactly. But you, you teach a lot more than just the remembrance, of course. I, I believe you've got a series of different programs that you teach and that take people through different aspects. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about how your business is structured, what you're offering to people? Yeah, well, here's the thing about a lot of people who are in business as heart-centered people who were drawn there by their heart is that there's a sense of, oh, if I can do what I do really well, then the business should just work. And when it doesn't, they have this self-judgment on themselves. And they also, because business is so broken, there's things about business they don't want to do, which because it feels like it breaks their heart to do it. And so what we do is we actually teach a lot of nitty gritty pieces around business because intuition alone won't get you there. Intuition, there's this understanding all the answers are inside you. Well, all the answers around love might be inside you, but all the, you know, if, <laughs> I, I wouldn't trust someone to do surgery based on intuition alone. However, if someone's trained as a surgeon, then intuition can bring their surgery to a place of like incredible heights and, and skillfulness and awareness and presence. And it's the same with business. If you learn simple skills around business and bring the sense of love to it, your intuition can guide you in working with it. But without knowing the principles of how do you hold a focused sales conversation with a potential client with integrity? How, you know, what does need to be on your website? How do you craft an offer? How do you price yourself? You know, how do you, if you get to this point of wanting to hire help, how do you delegate? How do you create a team? There's so many different pieces. It's not rocket science, but it's more than paint by number. And so we have foundational programs for different stages of business. We've seen that business fall into four different stages of development. And so we have programs. We have a five-month program for the first stage. We have a six-month program for the second stage. We have advanced teachings for the third stage and the fourth stage. And, and we help people move along in what has sometimes been described as a wisdom academy of, you know, one to two years of training to really develop both the presence of heart and the skillfulness and awareness of what you need to actually know in order to run your business so that your business can bring in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars that you need to care for your family or care for yourself. I like that you address the conflict that comes up between the business practices people need to follow and the heart-centered remembrance that you teach. I'm curious how that expresses itself in the people that you work with. Well, I think that a lot of people have aversions to business, <laughs> and rightly so. And so the way that tends to express itself is that people will say, oh, I hate sales, or I hate marketing, or I, I can't stand pricing. And they, there's this shrinking, this kind of collapse and shrinking goes on. And at the same time, they have this voice that says, well, I just have to get over it. Either they turn away from it completely or they say, oh, I just have to get over it. And that getting over it is an abandonment of self. It says, oh, I have to become someone that I don't like or I have to become someone that I don't recognize to do this thing that doesn't feel right in my heart. And it's just a very painful place for people to live. And so the first thing we do is we teach people to trust their own heart, to trust that discernment that they have that there's something wrong and broken. And then 
we show them that there is a way to do it without compromising yourself, that you can abandon manipulative practices. Marketing and sales has really come of age in modern business through the development of manipulative psychological research and understandings that happened throughout the 20th century. And it's been raised to a high pitch of our on high art form, if you want to call it that, although that sullies the name of art, where very manipulative practices are present in sales. There are known ways to manipulate people to act against their own interests, to spend money, to engage with things that they don't really want to engage with. And it happens all the time. And if you take on those practices, even without the intention of being manipulative, even with the best intentions of the heart, because the practices themselves are manipulative, you end up doing harm. And so we do our best to teach entirely different practices that are both effective in terms of engaging people, but aren't manipulative because they're not relying on psychological tricks that have been learned over the last, say, 90 to 100 years. I think that those have become so familiar to people that they've become a natural automatic association for people. As soon as they hear the terms marketing or sales or you know client interaction, all of these things, even the word client probably triggers that automatic response. This must be something where I'm trying to take something from somebody else and I have to subvert that natural tendency to want to be more, more heart-centered. Exactly. Exactly. People have that and it's just... Huh. I imagine that a lot of people come to you with a business that already exists or with existing business practices that don't come from a heart-centered place. Do you find people working with you, changing what they're doing, turning it around, you know, radically altering the direction of their work as a result of what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've had people who were like top salespeople in corporate organizations, but when they go out on their own to do it, they say, you know what, I did it for that organization and I can't do it this way for myself. I can't do it because I care too much now. It's too important to me. It's not just a job that I can somehow turn off, you know, or I've gotten to a stage of life where I can no longer abandon my heart. And so what they do is they take on a different way, a different way of doing things, and they find that they can still be effective. I just was hearing from someone who had been in an industry for 20 years and been successful, and yet their heart was broken. Their heart was broken. I mean, they were making, you know, their business had been in the six figures. It was a small business. And I, and I have to say that often that term six figures gets bandied about in the realm of self-employment and it can seem like a lot of money but when you start to have an organization at all and you don't have to people stay self-employed and that's beautiful this person gotten a little beyond that and but their heart was broken and they needed to do it differently and they went through a bit of a spiritual annihilation if you will <laughs> the sufis don't mess around with their language they don't try to sugarcoat it but there was like a real kind of dark night of the soul and an opening and i just got a most beautiful letter from them about how things have really changed how really changed how they can really be different be very different with the practices with their the thing with with the acts of business and they can bring love to it in a way that no longer feels like it's killing them that's inspiring. So I'm curious, you're running your business right now. You've How long have you been running this business that you're currently doing? Since 2000. Okay, so that's quite a while. When you built it up, the landscape of getting clients and building a business was very different than it is today. Mm, in some ways. How did you do that? And how do you see it as different from what's happening today? It was uh, in some ways 
harder <laughs> because the internet didn't exist. It, I mean, it did exist, but not to the extent that it does now, and not nearly as many people were on it on the internet. I remember teaching workshops, trying to say, you know, you really do need a website. <laughs> now it's kind of a given. But yeah, you know, the way that I got clients initially is how many people get clients. I just people I knew. I, I was doing something. I was doing it fairly effectively, surprisingly to me. It was I was being effective with it. And people said, wow, this is good. I want to work with you. And there would be referrals. And, you know, we would put out flyers. And I had started an EM email list. And and I gained clients. And what I had to do over the first few years, I think what a lot of people expect, one of the expectations that I think has come down from the internet, which is which is very painful, is that people have an expectation that it should all happen very quickly, that it needs to happen in three months or six months, and you should have a full running business up, and you should be doing fine. And what we've seen is it really takes two to three years of focus, not just having your doors open, but real focus on business development to potentially get to a place of momentum. And so the difference I see today is that although many, many more people are on the internet and it seems like the things are more crowded, it's actually much easier to find people. You know, we have, I was talking to someone recently who lives in a fairly rural area and they want to build up their clientele and they no longer are forced to drive an hour or two hours to find clients. You know, they, they can build it up over the internet. They can find the people who they really resonate with if there are not enough of them in the local community. And even if you're doing hands-on work, you can find those clients instead of driving an hour and saying, okay, I'm in a city, now where do I find these people? You know, it's like you can find people and make those connections much more easily. It does take some awareness. It does take some knowledge of strategy and knowledge of how to connect with people. But it's it's so possible to move things more quickly than it used to be, especially like back in the 90s when I was doing other things related, not related to this work, but just being self-employed or seeing my wife do body work and running around and putting flyers up all over town and try, you're just trying to drum up interest just by meeting people one-on-one. -on -one. What sort of training materials did you put together in those early days? What were you offering people and has that evolved over the years? It has totally evolved. <laughs> Very first workshop I presented was called Holiness in Business. We got three people and one person dropped out. <laughs> it was not a successful attempt at all. And I was just kind of figuring things out at that point. To tell you the truth, a lot of my training materials came out of working with clients one-on-one -on -one and kind of bringing in what I had learned running a magazine, bringing in what I had learned from other business teachers, bringing in what I'd learned from my Sufi teachers. And then in the course of a conversation, the connections would be made in my mind in terms of the knowledge that I had that my clients didn't have. And then I could give them something. And then they would say, do you have that in written form? And I said, I will. <laughs> we could hang up and I could write it up. And so what happened for my training materials is that I created a series of one-page worksheets that way that turned into a workbook that eventually turned into several book-sized programs that I've created over the years. But it was all created as a combination of me learning with other 
business teachers as well as spiritual teachers, and then actively working with clients as well as actively working in my business. Wow. And that implies that they're, they're, you've put together a lot of materials over the years. You've been doing this for a while. What does your business look like today? What it looks like today, how to answer that question, we have a small team that are all working out of our home offices, uh, somebody in Chicago and somebody in Texas and somebody in Australia. And anyway, so we have a small team like that and we communicate by phone and by Skype and text messaging and such. And then we offer a number of programs to people. In addition to doing some one-on-one -on -one coaching and small group coaching and healing, we run these programs. We run a Foundations One Clients and Money program for the first stage of business. We run the Foundations Two Expand Your Reach program for the second stage of business. We run a couple of programs that are priced at pay from the heart, which run about seven weeks or so. We run, we run them both once a year that are more meant to be kind of, hey, they're kind of basic courses. I say basic. It's not really fair. It's a way for people to kind of step in and, and check us out. But it's also a way for us to introduce some larger spiritual teachings and practical teachings that are more big picture and less nitty gritty. And so we have participants like our, our Heart of Money Transformational Program or the, the Heart of Your Business, which we're just about to finish up in the next week or so. Those are kind of the core of our business. Clearly, in order to, to provide this effectively, it feels like, is there a formula that you follow for building and, and presenting one of these workshops? Yes, a formula. Well, the foundations programs are evergreen, meaning that they start, a new one starts every month. And we have a combination of pre-recorded, pre-written, you know, written material and live calls every week to support people in this. And we a fairly sophisticated back end to make it as simple and accessible as possible for the participants to be able to just kind of walk through it at a pace that uh, really supports them. I'd love to know a little bit more about the back end and like what tools you use to run your business these days. Yeah, so the tools that we use is we, we have Infusionsoft, which is a uh, combination kind of CRM, customer relation management, autoresponder, sales, shopping cart, all in one package. And what it does is it allows us to automate a tremendous amount of the work that we do. And by automation, we teach something in, around systems is that the human body has many systems that are conscious, such as I'm talking to you, I'm having to decide what words I'm saying, but there's a lot that's running in the background without me having to bring conscious attention to it, right? So like my breathing and my heart's beating. If I had to think about my breathing and my heart beating, I wouldn't be able to talk to you because all my attention would be focused on that. So we have some of the main things that kind of run in the background, supporting sending out notices and moving people along and giving people access so they don't have to wait. Is somebody in the office get me access we can get people access so we have that we have wishlist member as our membership site on our website and a wordpress site we use wordpress plugins exclusively that we've kind of built together we've created just wordpress pages to be the class access pages where we've designed easy to read pages that have gravity forms and vimeo embedded video and PDFs created by our designer and all of these kind of come together to create a really visually pleasing and easy to access back end for our classes. 
We also use an application called Zapier. And what Zapier does is it's almost, it's an API <laughs> that you can use. API, I'm using all these terms that people may not be familiar with. But what it does is it basically hooks applications that wouldn't ordinarily talk to each other. So we have our Maestro Conference, which is our conference calls, the conference calling system, which allows us to do breakout groups and lets people speak to each other. We have our wishlist member. We have Infusionsoft. We have these different things that are provided by totally different companies. And what Zapier does is it allows these different systems to talk to each other so that when somebody purchases something in Infusionsoft, they say, you know what? I do want to sign up for that course. And they click buy. Then all these things happen in Infusionsoft and Zapier sends a message to Maestro Conference. It sends a message to Wishlist member and it gets everything set up. So do, 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 all this happens in the background and bloop automatically someone has the access they need and we have all the records set up and we can get them the information that they need. It took us a long time <laughs> to set up all of these pieces. Steve Mattis, who's our director of education, and it's just an amazing systems guy as well as having a huge heart and a lot of business experience himself, spent, we spent probably a good year and a half, two years setting up and refining the back ends for our programs so that they can run really smoothly and be really organized and simple. And we already see more that we could do to fix it, but that's what we've done so far. Well, it's a constantly evolving process, I'm sure, as the tool set changes and the environment in which people experience what you're doing changes. It's so true. It's so true. I'm curious about the people. How, how do you reach people? How do you let people know about what you're doing? Well, we have the people who already know about us, which is our email list. I guess we have, I think the latest number was about 14,000 people that we reach through our weekly emails. We have a lot of organic referrals that happen. People tend to love the programs and they tell people about it. And we've started doing, uh, not started, we've continued doing some uh, strategic alliances and partnerships with people to get our free content in front of new audiences so they can discern for themselves whether they like it or not, whether we resonate for them. This podcast is another wonderful <laughs> example of this. <laughs> How do those strategic alliances work? I'm curious. Okay, so the way a strategic alliance tends to work is if someone approaches us, it's a fairly easy thing. If we're approaching someone else, what we'll usually do is we'll do a little bit of research to find out, oh, who is this person? Is it, a, do they have a community or an organization, you know, a list of people that might potentially be interested in our stuff. Do we like them? Do we feel like we're resonate with them, that our values are matched? Do we see a way that, we, you know, that we won't be in competition with what they're doing and that we can really support them with what they're doing and what they're wanting to accomplish? You know, like for instance, uh, a smaller scale version of this might be someone who's, uh, here's a, here's a, here's a totally small scale one, which is been really beautiful meeting. I'm, I met someone here in Ithaca. I'm rel we're relatively new to the Ithaca, New York area. We moved here about a year and a half ago to live in this eco-village, which is an amazing thing, but that's aside the point. And I said, okay, I want to, we've got our feet settled. We've got our house built. I want to start reaching out. I just started Googling Ithaca people who are doing practitioner trainings of various sorts. And I came across someone who's doing that. They've got a school of energy medicine and I reached out and I, you know, I read their website and I said, they seem like a pretty cool person. I checked their social media and I said, you know, I'm kind of liking it. I'm new to the area. Can we have tea? I'd love to meet you. This is what we're doing. And this is, I'm also thinking about this, meaning thinking about like, you know, how to 
how to reach people and I didn't know if you had an idea about this and anyway we we sat down we had tea and she's hosting a workshop for her people because she doesn't teach business she teaches people how to do energy medicine and and so that's a really small example of how to do that we've also made larger connections with naturopathic schools and acupuncture schools and and other places and then finally we've hired an agency recently we were trying to do it on our own and not getting the results we wanted so we hired an agency to start to play with facebook ads and the initial results are promising but we've only been doing that for a few weeks so far one of the things I love about what you just said, though, is that complicated concept of strategic alliances comes down to something as simple as just having tea with somebody. Right. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, I mean, that's I mean, that's really what it is or a virtual tea over video. I think I think one of the places where people get caught up, especially with making connections through social media, is they don't think about taking it to the next level meaning a personal interaction. I mean, there's lots of people that you connect with on Facebook or Twitter or wherever, or even just a few people. If you like someone, reach out to them and say, hey, do you want to jump on the phone sometime? Or are you close to me? Or can we connect? That's how the magic happens just in those conversations. And sure, some of them don't end up being quote unquote useful business conversations, but not everything has to have a financial value to it. Sometimes it's just wonderful to meet somebody new and to have your heart expanded. And even for introverts, you know, you can do it in a way that supports the kind of the, you know, the introvert, you know, you don't have to be in front of a thousand people or a hundred people. You can do a more intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation. You can look at people behind the scenes. You can take your time getting to know somebody through social media until you feel like there's enough of a connection that you feel like, oh yeah, let's have a conversation. Yeah. It's a, it's just a wonderful way to, I don't know how I would have ever met this person. She lives out in the country. We live out in the country. I mean, I may have come, I may eventually have come across her in an, at an event somewhere, but would I have met her just a month or two into reaching out? Would it have taken two or three years to meet her? I don't know. It's just, I feel really fortunate. It's hard to imagine, but since you've been doing this for so long and the landscape does keep changing, if you were starting over again today, how would you do things differently? Or what would you change about the way you're doing your business? People ask me that question. I have to say, I the single, you know, we were, it's funny, just talking about strategic alliances. That's how I built my business then, and that's how I'd build it now. If heart of business went by the wayside and I started something completely different on a different topic, that's what I would do. I would get clear about the kinds of people I'm trying to reach. I would get clear on what I was wanting to help them with. I would get clear on one single simple offer, you know, whether it's usually one-on-one -on -one work. And then I would start looking for people, like I just explained, people who, you know, not necessarily in competition with. I mean, I remember talking to somebody who years and years ago, early in my business, and she said that she built her business entirely. She was a therapist. She built her business entirely by finding another therapist and taking them out to lunch or tea once a week, every week. <laughs> and she just built a referral network. It took time, but over two years of doing that consistently, she knew 100 people and she got referrals. And I think that that fundamental concept is the same. And I think there's a lot of pieces that can come into, you know, being really clear with your message and being able to have effective conversations and making sure your business is structured. Like there's other pieces that are important there. But people say the landscape has changed, but the human heart hasn't changed. The way people do relationships hasn't changed. 
the things that we're needing help with haven't changed. I'm really wanting to make a distinction between the channels that we use, whether it's social media or other types of channels, versus the fundamental principles of the human heart and how relationships are built and how we connect. We still teach the same principles around heart-centered websites that we taught back in 2005. We updated it so that it looks prettier. <laughs> you know, we hired a designer. There were a few small edits that we made, but it's the same basic teachings and people still use them to great effect because technology comes and goes. But as I've now said several times, the human heart doesn't. I get that, and I can see how the focus on the heart-centered business has really kept things consistent for you. Yes. And I'm curious, how, how can our listeners find you online? Heartofbusiness.com. Come to us, and there's kind of two things. One is, take your time getting to know us. Sign up for the newsletter. You get something from us weekly that is helpful and useful, and you'll know very quickly whether you resonate with us or not. And then secondly, if you feel drawn at all, resonate with what I've been saying, if you go on our training programs page, there's something called a readiness assessment, which teaches you about the stages of business development, and it lets you do a self-assessment on where your business is and what it needs to focus on. But more than that, we'll get that, and you'll get a personal response from us, kind of helping you get a sense of, you know, if we have any red flags or any tweaks to your own self-assessment. So you'll know what to focus on, whether or not you ever do any work with us. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much for the time and space here. I, I feel just really touched to be invited. Thank you. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process. Leave a review for the show on iTunes and visit HackTheProcess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>